My name is Josh. Uh, I am the Seattle version of Where's Waldo, if you can't tell. So this is my clean shirt. So no, I serve as the, the lead pastor here at Icon. And uh, today our sermon reading comes, or our text comes out of Acts 1, verses 4 through 9. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that that you are a God who who speaks to us, that you you, you don't leave us to, to figure it out but you actually reveal who you are and you reveal to us as Christians the the desire that you have for our lives, which which we're exploring today, which is to be spirit-empowered. And so I pray that, that today, not more unique than any other Sunday, we are always asking that your Holy Spirit would, would come and would speak to us, but I, I pray specifically today that where there are barriers in our hearts and our minds whether because of past experiences or cautious temperaments, Lord, where we feel a little bit shielded from the Holy Spirit, would you break that down and would you help us to see how necessary and how wonderful it is that we have your Holy Spirit? Thank you that you've not left us alone. Even as we read your word, it's your spirit that has inspired this word that we're, that we're exploring today makes it alive. And so would, you, would your spirit make your word come alive to us today? Would you give us a sense of our neediness? Would you help us to feel the, the necessity of the spirit's power in our real life? And would you demonstrate that even now, God, as I preach, would you unite your power with my weak words and cause a, a hunger in our hearts as a consequence? So would you be with us today? We entrust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, three boys in a hut with a gallon of vodka. Never a great start. Uh, In November of 2010, uh, three boys lived on the island chain of, I'm going to totally butcher this, Tokilau, uh, which is due west of New Zealand and, and just south of Samoa. Uh, and if you look up pictures of this place, it's really wonderful. It's, it's a tiny island, you know, it's not, it's not a big one that you can do a ton of exploring on, but, but when you look at it, it's still beautiful and wonderful. And uh, the island they were specifically on is this, this circle, and uh, in the middle of the circle is just this massive turquoise lagoon, like, like any of us here in Seattle would look at that and think, that is paradise, that, that, that is the place that I want to be. But for these three boys, having grown up on this island, having gotten used to this island, really started to see it as a prison. They couldn't stand it, being so isolated in the Pacific Ocean. And so they they grew sick of the island life. And one night, 
they hatched a plan to escape from life on the island. So, drunk on vodka and youthful invincibility, they decided on that November night to steal a 14-foot-long aluminum dinghy and load it up with gas and as many coconuts as they could find. That was their plan. And then set out to sea. They, they knew that they only had to go like 80 miles or so in order to, to reach the next island that actually had an airport that maybe they could hop on a plane and then escape into their future. So they crawl into this dinghy, and then they slip out to sea in the dead of night. And as you can imagine, things did not go well. They, they, they set out to sea at night, and they're, they're not experienced sailors. They're actually uh, newbies, and they're, they're trying to navigate by the stars. And so at night, they're, they, they pick one star, and they think, okay, we're going to follow that one. But then the sun comes, and they, they don't know what to do then. And so they get lost, and they, they, can't, they get turned around. And at this point, they, they know they're in trouble. And 51 days later... They were discovered by another ship, naked, emaciated, and burnt to a crisp. They grew grew tired of the paradise that they had, and because of that, they let their stupidity kind of lead them along. (laughs) They, they, They didn't know the gift that they had. They didn't know the paradise that they had. They were they were tired of it. It was old to them. What most people would look at and say, man, I want to be there. They said, I have to escape from this. And I, and I think that's a great illustration of Christians when it comes to how we think about the Holy Spirit. You see, we, we just don't know the gift that we have been given. We don't recognize it. We've been given the Holy Spirit, but because of cautious temperaments or past experiences, we we are very suspicious about talking about the Holy Spirit a little bit too much because who knows what's going to happen, right? People are going to fall dead, right? Doesn't that happen? We get, we get afraid. We're cautious. We don't know the gift that we have, and so we dare not let the Holy Spirit run free in our lives or in our church, right? Who, who knows what's going to happen? And so it's my hope today that we'll get a picture of the help that we have in the Holy Spirit and not despise it. I I hope that we see that, because here's our temptation. If we don't recognize the gift that we have in the Holy Spirit, if we don't see the quote-unquote paradise that it is to be given the Spirit of God, then we, as a church and as individual disciples, would do exactly what those kids do. We will set out with with strategies and plans and, and spiritual disciplines, that in the end, by themselves, are nothing more than the spiritual equivalent of a 14-foot dinghy. It won't be enough because you're setting out on the sea of, of mission and of discipleship. And out on that sea, things get really testy. You will not be able to withstand the waves of opposition in your discipleship or temptation in your discipleship if all you have are your strategies, if all you have are your disciplines, it will not be enough. And so today, as we, as we explore in this series the, the values of our church, I re- like it has been my desperate prayer this week that you would feel in your guts the utter necessity of the Holy Spirit in your real life and in our church. Because without that, we're going to end up just like those boys. We're going to get into something that is, in the end, way over our head. And so we need to slow down. That's what we're doing today. We're slowing down 
in order to, to revisit and think together, together what it is that we need from the Holy Spirit. Because without it, it will be nothing. It doesn't matter how slick the programs are. It doesn't matter how streamlined the connection process is here at ICON. It doesn't matter how compelling Sunday services are. In the end, if we do not have the Holy Spirit as a church, we are nothing more than a baptized 501c3. And I'm not giving my life for that. <laughs> and I hope you want something more as well. So let's, let's explore this idea of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to look at this text in Acts 1, and I really want to ask three questions. Number one, why do we need the Holy Spirit's power? Number two, what does the Holy Spirit's power do? Like, what, what is it for? And then number three, how we access or, or welcome that power into our life, Okay. So first, why we need the Spirit's power? Why we need it in the first place? Well, to, to understand this from the text in Acts 1, we, we've got to understand a, a little bit of what's been going on so far. So this book, is, this is the beginning of the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, who is a, who's a doctor. who He's writing to this skeptic named Theophilus. And he, he wrote a book before that called The Gospel of Luke, where he kind of uh, told the story of Jesus and kind of tracked along all that Jesus did. And then now he's writing a, he's writing a new book that kind of carries on the story of, of how the apostles, the, the full name of the book is The Acts of the Apostles, how they carried forward the mission of Jesus. And, and I want you to think about, at the beginning of this book, what it is that's happening. These disciples have just seen and spent time with the resurrected Jesus. They have spent, for the last three years even, learning from Jesus, hearing from Jesus, watching him perform all kinds of miracles of power and raising the dead and healing the blind. They've seen it all. And then now, here they are in this text, hanging out with the resurrected Jesus. And more than that, what does it say that Jesus is doing? It says just, a, just above, if you look in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So these disciples are hanging out with the resurrected Jesus who is doing apologetics for them, trying to show, him, trying to show them, hey, here's why I, you can believe that I'm actually raised from the dead, that though I was murdered on a cross, I've now conquered death, and here's why you should believe that. Jesus himself is giving this, these disciples the best apologetics in the world. And more than that, what is he doing? He's talking about the kingdom of God. They're getting a theological education from the resurrected Jesus. That's the context of what's going on here. And yet, Jesus still, in that space, still tells them to slow down. Don't go yet. Don't, don't go out into the world and witness about me yet. But what does he say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Jesus himself tells these disciples that what they have and what they're experiencing in that moment is not going to be enough for them to carry forward the mission of the gospel. 
I, want, I really want you to feel that this morning. To be taught by the resurrected Jesus. For, for Jesus to, to come to you and to unfold who he is and how his work is now accomplishing and establishing the kingdom of God. That would not be enough to carry forward the mission of the gospel. And so theological education is not enough. What we need is the Spirit's power. Jesus slows them down and says, you will need something more. You will need something that you don't yet have. And what you need is, is power. Power from the Holy Spirit. Now, now a little bit of uh, nerdy Greek work here. Uh, the word here for power in Acts 1a is the Greek word dunamis, or transliterated, it's dynamis. And so it's obviously where we get the word for something like, like dynamite. It's a word that, that's meant to express power that, that carries with it the capability to really change something. A power that inherent in it will cause an effect. And it's almost, it's almost always uh, the word used in the Gospels when, when Jesus is healing something. It carries with it the, the connotation of a power that is so explosive and so consequential that in the end, whatever object that power is being applied to doesn't have the choice as to whether to change or not. Think about it with dynamite. <laughs> whatever you go throw a stick of dynamite at, does that thing now have a choice as to whether it's going to be affected by that explosion? No. <laughs> it will be exploded. Or when you have a little firecracker, right? Anyone else, when you were a kid, just like play with firecrackers and see how long you could hold them before you threw them off? Anyone else now? Okay. I, I burned holes in our trampoline with M80s, so that was a dangerous kid. <laughs> yeah, but what you do, I mean, you, you'll hold a sparkler, right? You'll hold a sparkler, and it's got some heat. You don't want to touch it. It's obviously going to be very hot, but you're not worried about it. There's nothing to it that's really going to affect you. It's just kind of pretty. But when you, hold, when you light a firecracker, you know, I got to throw this thing because it's about to explode. This, this thing, if I hold it in my hand, is going to cause an effect. It's going to maybe make me lose some fingers. That's the power that Jesus is talking about. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. A power that will change things, will cause things to happen as you do this work of the gospel. And that's what we need. That's, that's what Jesus says. All of this theological education, even seeing the risen Jesus won't be enough. What you need is something from the Holy Spirit to come in and actually produce change, to actually produce an effect. And if that's true for the disciples... If Jesus slows these men down before they go out and exercise the mission of the gospel, how much more so for us? How much more so do we need power that we do not carry in ourselves? Like, are, are, we, really, are we really that deluded or prideful to think that we can do anything here? And not just in Seattle, but here, with you, with me. Are we really so, are we really so lost and separated from our sense of weakness 
that we think we can do this thing on our own. You know, because our, 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 our culture and our city is constantly telling you how strong you are, right? And you are, you, you, you know, you got some strengths, you're ambitious, you're talented, you're great, okay? But also you're really weak. <laughs> like this week, I was at the office and I stubbed my toe and you would have thought I exploded my hip, <laughs> you know? Or I drink too much coffee on an empty stomach and all of a sudden I'm, I need to lay down. <laughs> and that's just physically, not even to mention spiritually. If I can't even get my own, if, if, if my own physical body just has weaknesses that, that take me out of commission, how much more so do coming up against spiritual realities of, of sin in our hearts and sin in our city, we really think we can do that. We really think that we have what it takes in order to produce change. And I, I don't think any of us would outright say that, but we demonstrate it with our lives. We, we would never say, like, yeah, I don't, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I can do this on my own. But, but we do it with our lives, <laughs> right? The church does that by its actions. If you want to know why you can look at the American church and ask the question on why they are so power-hungry and bent on receiving power and influence through institutions, if you want to ask that question, the reason why is because we have lost our necessity of the Holy Spirit. We think we can do it any other way. We think that there are easier ways. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to deal with this weird thing, you know, this weird person called the Holy Spirit. Instead, I can just get the right person in the Oval Office. And so we might not say it with our lives, but we demonstrate it with our actions. And I, and I hope that you feel the necessity of this power in your life because of your own weakness, but also because of the, the mission that right, that's right in front of you. Like, do you, do you understand? And this has been, um, this has been represented to me in some, in some big ways over the last few weeks. Do you understand what it is to be a Christian, a faithful Christian, to, to be a, even what, what we say in our mission statement, a, a Christian who follows Jesus in real life, do you understand what that's really going to take? Because for a while, you know, Christians kind of had the advantage of maybe a, a mild acceptance of society with some occasional resistance. Those days are over. We will, we will no longer experience a, a mild acceptance of our faith and bump into every now and then a little bit of opposition. You will be opposed as a Christian. It, the, the problem, the, the mission is, is too big and the force is too strong for us to have anything less than the Spirit's power. I read this from the, the Pew Research Center a few weeks ago that, uh, you, you know, they do a lot of work on statistics and things like that, which how much can you really trust that? But, but they do a lot of good work. And one of the things they said is that uh, the percentage of children who are right now being raised in a Christian home the percentage of those children that will most likely come out as resilient, faithful disciples in Jesus Christ, like, like really make it through, is 12%. 12% of kids right now, not just kids in general, but kids being raised in a Christian home, 12% of them, they project, will actually make it out as resilient, faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. 
If that's the truth, and I think it's probably close, we need something in our parenting that's, that's more powerful than our, even what Rochelle was saying, more powerful than our own ideas and our own, you know, we need the Spirit's power to partner with us in this great work. We've got to let go of all of these power grabs, both personally and institutionally, and depend on the Spirit's power. We cannot look to politics or social standing, strategic ingenuity, even as a church, that without, without the Spirit's power is nothing more than, than manipulation. We need something more. We need the Spirit to show up with dunamis, with power that actually affects change. Now, when that power does show up, what, what actually happens? Look, look back at the text with me. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus commands these disciples to wait for the Spirit's power, but he does it, if you see, right on the heels of this question that they have. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, here, here's this Messiah, Jesus, who's been raised from the dead. Is he going to restore the, the Israelites' prestigious place in the world and, and make them comfortable again? The Israelites at this point in the biblical story have been either in exile or, or under the rule of some foreigner for hundreds of years. And so the disciples think, okay, if Jesus can beat death, surely he's going to rescue us out of all these other things. Surely he's going to demonstrate his power with what we've been wanting all along. No. What does Jesus say his power is for? He bypasses their question and tells them it's not for them to know. And then he goes straight into what he wants them to do with this power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the power that Jesus is talking about here is not the power that, that slides these disciples back up the social ladder or gives them a place of prominence in the world. That's not what the power is for. The power is given by the Holy Spirit in order to make these disciples witnesses to Jesus. Listen, I, I want you to hear this today from this text. God's power is always for God's purposes. God's power is always for God's purposes. The disciples here had something in mind. They had their own purpose for what was about to happen. They saw this opportunity to, to gain something they wanted or to, to get something back that they had lost. And Jesus refuses them that opportunity. Instead, telling them that they will receive power, not in order to establish themselves, but in order to witness to Jesus. God's power is for God's purposes. That's what it's here for. So when I say that we need to be a, a spirit-empowered church, that never means that we are to seek power from the Holy Spirit in order to make us important in Seattle. We are never to do that. 
We are to seek power. We are to want dunamis from the Holy Spirit in order to assert and witness to the supreme importance of Jesus Christ. That's what it's here for. And this, this is where churches go wrong, right? Like in Seattle's own church history, has there not been demonstrations of what seemed like spiritual power that turned out to be used for purposes other than what God wanted? God will, God will, God will not be mocked in that way. That, that never ends well. That type of power use and power grab leaves a trail of bodies in its wake. We want, we want prestige, importance, significance, respect. And so we, we, seek, we seek to do something as a church, to be something as a church in order to achieve those things instead of embracing the actual mission we've been given which is to testify to the supreme importance of Jesus Christ. God's power is for God's purposes. And when we get that twisted, things go very wrong. Things get sped up for us as a church that end up maybe being its destruction because we get to a place where we can't handle it. You know, I, uh, you know Kyle... We've been friends for about 10 years now, and one of the things we used to do all the time in our early 20s was, was go longboarding. Um, really loved it. It was really fun. Um, and uh, back then, I had this longboard that was really long. It was 52 inches long. Um, and I think I've told this story before, but, but it was really long, and we'd go flying down these hills like nothing too crazy. Um, and when you have a board that long, one of the things that happens is uh, it begins to flex a lot. You know, it's really uh, vulnerable to flexing while you're going fast. And I remember one day in January of 2014, um, we, were, we were going down Hilltop Road back down in Dallas, Texas. And Hilltop Road is an old road. Uh, it's, a, it's a good hill, but it's got these little waves in the road, you know, from, from being there for a long time and cars just kind of messing up the road. And so we, we get there on a Saturday, and I was like, you know what, I just, I'd just gone down this hill that was uh, really great the last week, so I was feeling super confident and that I could do it. Uh, and so instead of starting at like maybe the halfway point, I was just like, I'm just going to go to the top. I'll be fine, you know, no helmet, no anything. And I get on my board, I, I don't kick off, and I, I'm going down. And uh, there's these things called speed wobbles. <laughs> Anybody ever heard of this? Um, it's when you get going too fast, and it, you're basically, unless you're really, really good at it, you are past the point of, of no return. It's something that you're just going to crash. And so I'm going down this hill, and I'm, I'm going relatively fast for someone on four small wheels with, with no helmet. And I get the speed wobbles, and I just think, okay, I can either fall with a board or I can jump off and crash. And so I jumped off and then took like three steps and just uh, right along the concrete. Kyle comes running down the street. Are you okay, man? Are you okay? And I hop up with my adrenaline jumping and I think, yeah, I'm fine. And then all of a sudden my side is like, it's like, it feels like it's blown out. And so we end up going to the ER. I had second degree road rush burns and I tore my abdomen wall. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. All because I, I got myself into something that was way over my head. I, had, I thought I could handle something that in the end ended up really messing me up. 
And if we don't recognize that, that God's power is for God's purposes, we'll begin to walk this road as a church, maybe grow, maybe grow in a little bit of influence as a church, but all the while we're, we're moving at a pace that outpaces the Holy Spirit and we end up in trouble. And so why do we need the Spirit's power? In order to accomplish God's purposes. It is not just for Icon Church to grow, to be this thing. That, that's not what we're here for. We're here to be witnesses to the supreme importance of Jesus Christ. And so when you hear me talk about spirit-empowered, I really want you to have the right lenses because that, that can have some connotations in our mind that it's going to be abused and that it's, it's really this power structure, you know? That's what a lot of people in this culture thinks, that, you know, the church exists in order to just be uh, power-hungry. And, and the spirit, what, what even is that? That's just an excuse you use in order to, to, to be in power. No, that's not what we're here for. We are here in order to see God's purposes moved forward. It's not for us. It is for God's purposes. So finally, how do we actually access this power? How do we actually walk in power by the Holy Spirit? If, we, if we've gotten the, to the point of, of recognizing our need for this power, and we've gotten to the right motivations for seeking that power, how do we actually get it? Well, after Jesus ascends into heaven, the, the disciples are left there to wait. And they've been given a promise in the words of Jesus that th this power from the Holy Spirit is going to come, that in just a few days, it's, it's, it's going to happen. That's what he says, right? Not many days from now. And so what's their reaction to that? What, what would you think? What, what would you do? If, Jesus get, if you were there and he gave you a promise that in just a few days, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and ignite your life with power so that you can be a witness to the supreme importance of Jesus Christ. What would you do? Maybe go up to the upper room. I mean, it's, been a, pro it's a promise from Jesus, so I'm just going like, to stand here and maybe stretch a little bit. I don't know what it's going to be like. What do they do? Look further in the text, down at verse 14. All these with one accord, talking about the disciples, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. How fascinating is that? That the, the disciples had just been told what's going to happen. They've already been given a promise. So, so theoretically, they, they could have just waited in the upper room, doing whatever, playing Candy Crush, checking their fantasy football draft. They could have done whatever, but that's not what they do. They give themselves to prayer. They devote themselves to prayer. Though Jesus has already told them what's going to happen, though he's already promised it, Jesus had taught them well enough throughout their time together to see that, that power from the Holy Spirit is not something we, we presume upon. It's not something we presume upon. We don't receive power from the Holy Spirit on the couch, but in the prayer closet. And so even when they had a promise from the mouth of Jesus, the disciples still seek the Holy Spirit through prayer. 
which means this. A church that assumes that the Spirit will show up and work in their church, that will be a church that rarely, if ever, actually receives power. And the Christian, the disciple, who presumes upon the Spirit's power showing up in their life, I mean, right? Jesus is, Scripture's promise that he's going he's gonna to help us make it to the end. And he's, if he's promised that, like, what do I really have to do? That's not right. <laughs> God's promises does not devoid us, does not separate us, does not release us from the necessity of praying. And that's because of this. Prayer precedes power every time. When you look in the Bible, when God shows up, it's almost always preceded by someone asking him to do something. Every time. And who knows who's been praying for this little church? Do you ever think about that? Who, what if there's someone who's lived in Capitol Hill or lived in Seattle who has for, for a long time been praying that God would establish a, a, a faithful church here in the center of the city? And here we are. Prayer always precedes power. We cannot presume upon the promises of God and let that lead us into into sluggishness. But instead, like the disciples, that should cause us to, to want it all the more and devote ourselves to prayer. Wanting it is not enough. We've got to do something with it. And that something is prayer. Listen to how the, the pastor and theologian Sam Storms says this. Of course, on occasion, God does bestow great and glorious gifts even in the absence of our asking for them. But it is sinfully presumptuous and downright disobedient on our part to assume that he will bestow those gifts and then neglect or refuse to pray based on that assumption. Again, we must never assume that God will give us apart from prayer what he has promised in Scripture to give us only in response to prayer. The reason God instituted prayer is so that we have a predictable channel of communication with him through which we can express our desire. Just having the desire for something doesn't mean you've asked God for it. And so we've got to pray. You know, a few weeks ago in in our sermon for our anniversary Sunday, I talked a lot about the, I I want us to want God, to to desire him, to to want more from him and not not be content with just surviving as a church, but but thriving. But that sermon's not enough. That, That desire, if that's all we have, is not enough. It's got to drive us to the practice of prayer. And I know that prayer is weird. <laughs> I know it, it can be confusing, and I don't have time to explain all of what it is, but, but the basics of it is this. Prayer is relationship and partnership. It's the means through which we relate to God and we, we let him know, we confess to him our anxieties, our sins, our burdens, our dreams, our ambitions. It's one of the means through which we praise him, but it's also partnership, that, that God has decided in his sovereignty, again, maybe next spring we can do a class on prayer or how this all works, but, but God has desired in his sovereignty that he will partner with people who ask him to do something. Prayer is relationship and partnership. And so we've got to give ourselves to it. Just wanting things is not going to be enough. 
We, we've got to give ourselves to prayer. And here's the thing. I know that, let, let's make it real practical, okay? Real practical, because it, it can, yeah, I got to pray. I get that. You know, e, e. Stanley Jones said this, if you can't pray by the inward tick, pray by the outward clock. And what he meant by that is that if you don't have it in your heart or in your spirit, something that's, that's leading you toward prayer, then just put it on the schedule. <laughs> just put it on the schedule. Make it super practical. That doesn't diffuse it of its spirituality, <laughs> Put it on the schedule. If that inward tick is not leading you there and you don't feel that yet, then put it on the calendar. I'm going to pray at this time. And you know what? Because we believe this so much as a church, we want to help you with that this week. And so what we're going to do this week for Monday through Friday, if you text the word icon prayer to 97,000, it's going to opt you into, uh, just for this week, don't worry, we won't explode your phone for forever, but just for this week, once a day, we're going to send you a prayer reminder at 10 a.m., something like that, with a short little prayer prompt in order to help you put it on the outward clock to pray. And so I would encourage you, opt into that. Help, help us help you in order to make this discipline, this necessary discipline, a, a real part of your life. Icon prayer to 97,000. This is the only time ever I would say, hey, take out your phone and text someone. <laughs> Please do. I think it'll be really good. Now, to close, I just want to say this. Reading this text, we often get it divorced from real life. But the truth is, is that this happened. The Holy Spirit came down in power. And because of that, we are here. 1,988 years ago, in a place 6,774 miles from here, the Holy Spirit fell down, and here we are. The Holy Spirit fell down and sparked the greatest movement in history, a movement that has outlasted emperors. Nero really persecuted the church, but look where he is and look where the church is now. The Holy Spirit came and infused the church with power. And so this is possible. That's what I want to say to close. This is possible. We can really seek this as a church. We can really want this as a church and ask God for it and see it happen. And so I hope that in your, in your personal discipleship and in your participation here at ICON, that you will participate in this work first through prayer, knowing that anything we do here, if it's ever going to be effective, if it's ever going to be meaningful, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit showed up and demonstrated his power. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your faithfulness, God. That you... I thank you for the gift of prayer that you have opened up this channel of communication in order for us to, to speak with you and share everything that's on our heart. Not that you don't know it, of course you do, but you've opened up this, this, this channel of communication for us to confess to you all the ways that we're desperate for you to show up. And how staggering it is that we speak words here on earth that come into your heart and you, you respond in kind. 
pray that you would give us as a church a wonderful vision of what could be, of how Jesus could be witnessed to if we would just pray for it. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's incredibly simple. Would you give us a sense of desire that drives us to action, a sense of weakness that drives us to prayer? I thank you that that you've promised to carry your church, to bankroll the church's power, the church's work with your power. I pray that we would see that in real ways here at ICON. In our personal lives, that sin would become less and less appealing, that, that chains would become less and less binding, that relationships would be healed, and that as a church, we would be a witness to the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't want anything less. We don't just want to make it. We want to be who you have, have made us to be as disciples and as a church. So we ask you to do it by your spirit and in your son's name. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching into a time of response to reflect on and respond to the work of the Spirit. While we recognize it's hard to capture that in a podcast, we'd still encourage you to take a moment. Consider what the Spirit might be saying to you in response to what you heard. For more resources and details about how to join us on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. As we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.